Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. I am Pastor Wright, and today we get to look at the readings for the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany of our Lord. So again, how are we seeing Jesus revealed? How are we getting to know who Jesus is as a Redeemer, as a Savior, as God? And this has always been a interesting push, uh, interesting trek to figure this out. Because again, we're talking about the immensity of God. We're talking about the miraculous events of the incarnation, that is, God becoming flesh in Jesus. And then the application to this for our life. And we do a lot of good talking. We talk about being Christians. We talk about being Lutherans. We talk about being Holy Crossers. And if you've spent any time with me, you have probably heard me say that I don't particularly like cliches. And I really don't like the cliches that are true and right. And there's one that, uh, well, frankly, just annoys me. And it is the cliche that you are what you eat. And uh, I remember seeing that uh, this cliche, and I remember wondering to myself, huh, that's interesting, because I don't remember eating a plate of awesomeness and a side dish of cool. So the idea with that cliche is what you consume, what you bring into yourself, that is what you are. And again, I don't like this because this is really true. And so when we're talking about identity, who are you? What are you? What are you consuming? What are you contending with? What do you allow to be a part of your life? And yes, I stress allow. We have in our gospel lesson, we have Jesus speaking, and this is, again, the continuation of the Sermon on the Mount, and he opens with you, and he's speaking to you. This is both the singular, the individual, and the plural. So you as a one single person and you as the congregation, you as the people of God, are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So we know salt is salt because of the way it smells, the way it looks, the way it tastes. So if you take away the taste and the usefulness of what salt is, it seasons food, it preserves food, you use it to cook, you know, so on and so forth. But if you take its primary function away, 
what good is it? And with this, we're able to identify, we're able to understand that the purpose of salt is to be salty. So what's the pur purpose of being a Christian? It's to follow Christ, it's to be a disciple, it's to be in Christ. And we have all of these markers, these marks. What does a Christian do? And I love this question because my my sinful nature really jumps into this. My, my pharisaical nature jumps in because it really is the, the kid in the front row sticking his arm up, waving, going, ooh, 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 I know this answer. The Christian is the one who does God's law. The Christian is the good person. The Christian is the one who uh, shows up to church first and is last to leave, knows the liturgy, knows all the hymns, has all the Bible verses memorized, and is happy-go-lucky, everything is good. Uh, you can definitely see that he just loves everybody and everything's nice and wonderful. And those are the marks of the Christian. And again, this is my, my sinful nature speaking. This is my, my pharisaical nature. Because notice all of those things were about what I'm doing. It was about the my, my work, my good works, my righteousness, my self-justification. It's me doing the good things. It's me showing off my piety. I, I read chapters of the Bible, and then I read uh, chapters of the Book of Concord, and then I do all these other things to demonstrate my piety. And these things in of themselves aren't wrong, but what's the motivation behind it? Why am I doing this? And this is at the heart of what Jesus is bringing to bear in this continuation of the Sermon of the Mount. We need to remember the motivation behind all of this. What brings us to read the scriptures? What brings us to pray multiple times a day? What brings us to church? What brings us to being not worried in this world and these problems? What what is motivating us. And of course we get to say, it is what God has brought to us in Christ Jesus. He is the one who has made us salty. He is the one who has made us who and what we are. To be a follower of Christ, to be a Christian, doesn't mean that you do all these good, nice, religious, churchly things. To be a disciple, to be a follower of Christ, really means, and when I say really, it's not like I have all the answers, that I'm the greatest model, that it's, oh, it's just one thing. It's this secret. And I always love it when, when people tell you, I have the secret to X, Y, and Z. And have you always noticed, it's on social media, and, and you need to pay, if you just pay the $19.95 plus handling, uh, shipping and handling, then you too will know the secret to whatever your problem, so on and so forth. There's no secret to being a Christian. There's no immediate one thing outside of faith in Christ given and delivered to you by the Holy Ghost. And, and even this faith is the work of God delivering, opening your eyes, breaking your heart of stone and giving you the heart of flesh, the heart of Christ. This is 
God's work upon you. And what are we to do? We're to receive this. We are to live this out. We are to trust that these acts, these gifts are in fact truly ours. That is hard because as I just said, when we look at being a Christian, we're always looking at who is good among us. The people who do all these amazing good things, we immediately say, obviously, they're a Christian. But what about those who are struggling in sin, their pet sins, their their earthly sins, their earthly flesh, so on and so forth? They know Christ died for them, but yet they're, they're wrapped up in whatever sin, and maybe you're doing the same thing. Why do I continue to do this thing? I know it's wrong. I must be a horrible Christian. Well, these are the people that God calls. Look at Israel and Israel as a whole, especially in the Old Testament. We have this weak nation and they see the miraculous events of God, the, the, the ten plagues. They, they see the uh, Red Sea opened up, and they walk across it on dry land. And what do they do? Throughout their 40 years of wandering, they continue to rebel against God. Half the time, they act like he doesn't even exist, that he didn't do these mighty works to rescue and save them. Well, the same thing is true today. We have the mighty power acts of God, holy absolution, that is the pronouncement of the forgiveness of your sins, the preaching of your pastor, the idea that God uses a sinful, weak man to give you the words and the treasures of heaven, and they are delivered because God is the one behind all of his gifts, all of his acts. And it is in these things that we start seeing that we take for granted. Oh, I'll go to church next Sunday. I'll read the Bible later. I'll pray later. I got things to do. I got this or that and so on and so forth. But we need to remember who we are, or better yet, whose we are. God has called you to be his dear child. And in order to have this status, in order to have this title, in order to be part of this family, it took the death of Jesus. It took him to spill his holy, innocent blood to cover you, to cover your sin, to cover your death. Now notice, God absolutely takes away your sin. God absolutely takes away your death. But we still struggle in our sin. And chances are we will die unless Jesus comes before our death. And so we still have to contend with these things. And what we need to remember is even our sin, even our death, even the hell that we deserve, has no claim on us because the mighty work of God has been placed upon us, which means this is to change our identity. This, in fact, is to change our worldview. We no longer let the world tell us what to think or how to think. We let God shape our view. 
In fact, we are to now see things through the theological eyes of the New Testament, through the Holy Ghost, who has shown us Christ. We get to put on Christ so that we get to see others the way Christ sees them, loved, redeemed, and cherished. And these things are easy to say. How do we apply them? And I love this because this is the same question St. Paul gets when he starts preaching the love of Christ. And you see soldiers coming. How do I have this? What do I do? What does it look to what does it look like to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ? And notice St. Paul gives the absolute easiest, simple, and practical things. When you're a soldier, be a good soldier. When you being a father, be a good father. Raise your children up. Treat your fellow soldiers well. Do not abuse your authority. Do not abuse your power. And he goes on to these, again, practical things. Luther makes an interesting statement on this too. The Christian shoemaker is not a Christian shoemaker because he puts crosses on his shoes. He's a Christian shoemaker because he makes good shoes, quality shoes, and sells them at a reasonable price and produces a good product to help his neighbor. And I love this. Because again, when Jesus is preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. You don't hide this light. Do not think that God in Christ has come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. All of this is to free you to be who he has made you to be. Not just the light of the world, not just the salt of the world, but you get to be his people. You get to be his brothers and sisters. You get to be the very ones who receive the gifts of God to then be lived out, then to be seen by others, not for your glory, not for your uh, building up, but for the building up of the kingdom of God, for the glory of God. And what's amazing is he doesn't need it. This is so that others. Others will hear, others will see, others will have the love of Christ seen through your acts, seen through your words, seen through your life. That might mean that they see your brokenness and they see the love of God who heals you again and again and again in the words of holy absolution. This is the struggle and the tension of being a Christian, a disciple on this side of heaven. We will fight against flesh. We will fight against the flesh. We will fight against the world. We'll fight against all the things of creation. But they do not have the final say. They, in fact, actually don't have power. We, unfortunately, too often give them power, and we make ourselves helpless as if we are not rescued, as if we are not saved, as if we are not redeemed, and we let these problems, these issues, these things get in the way. They become the obstacle, and we think we are separated from the love of God and Christ. But when we see the bigger picture, how much we are loved, how much we are forgiven, how much grace has been lavished upon us, 
this again changes who and what we are. We get to identify the truth of what God has spoken. And I love this. If God has said you are forgiven, then you're forgiven. If God says you are alive, you are alive. If God says, even though you die, you shall live, that means death has no power over you. And we need to take God seriously. When he said, let there be light, in the opening verses of Genesis chapter 1, light just manifested. Light just came out of truly nothing. Because the sun, the moon, and the stars, they're not created by God until the fourth day. Light just happened because God said so. So if God is able to produce light literally from nothing, there is no source except himself. If he pronounces you alive, it's not because you picked yourself up by your bootstraps. It's not because you followed the law. It's not because you decided for Jesus. It is because God said so. It is because God brought you into his marvelous light, into his grace, into his mercy, into his steadfast love. And it is because of his work upon you, we get to have all these great and wondrous gifts. You are born into this family, not by your strength, not by your reason, not by your power, but because of the love and compassion and the grace of God coming to the likes of me, the likes of you, so that we can be called redeemed. We can be called his children. And if he does that, then we are. St. Paul goes uh, to great lengths to show us this. And even again, in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is pointing to you and saying, I have made you the salt. I have made you the light of the world. Go forth and season those who are in your life. Reveal the love of Christ through good works because of the greatest work has already been done for you. The, the sacrifice that covers all your sin, truly takes away death, has already been done. Go forth and live in the freedom. Go forth and live out who and what you are, the loved of God. So, again, all of these statements are absolutely true. All of these statements are nice things that you should hear from the church, from the pastor, from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, the problem is we're still sinful. We still will struggle. But let these words, let these ideas, let these gifts and treasures change the way you deal with everybody and everything. Look at all the things in your life as true gifts from God. Even the problems, they, they too are gifts. And what I mean by that is, uh, just think about uh, to today. What things do you have to do today? You might have to drive the kids to school. You might have to pay the bill. You have to go to work. You have to do all these things. You have to, have to, have to. What if we change that to, I get to do this? 
I get to spend time with my kids. I get to go to work to provide for my family. I get to pay the bills, which then provides a house, electricity, so on and so forth. And we got we get to see that God has provided you the ability, gift to do these things, to live in this world as he takes care of you, as he continues to provide for you. And now we get to have these relationships in our lives as gifts. And then on top of that, even when there's problems, illness, hurt, harm, death, accidents, all the, the, the bad things of this world, these too are gifts because we turn them over to God. And there's a, a prayer that, that I pray often, and it's really simple. Lord God, I do not know how you will see me through this, but I commend my life, my actions, my words to you. Let me see your work and let me be strengthened in faith to bear through all things to your glory. And right here, it changes everything because, again, it's not, God, if you just give me the wisdom, the strength, and give me the means to solve this problem, then everything will be great. It's, Lord, I, I'm a, I'm as useful as a box of rocks in solving all these problems. I, I'm as strong as a weak child against my sin, against my death. I don't know how I will survive on my own power. See me through this. And again, I don't know how he's going to do it. And it might hurt to go through this problem, to go through this issue. But the fact remains, God said, he will see you through all things. And I'm going to take him at his word, and I'm going to trust him. And this is the gift that God has given to each and every one of us. We get to follow Christ knowing that he has taken away all the things that would ever separate us from his love. And if we have forever already prepared for us, we have the joys of the love of Christ, which will hold us and see us through all things. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.